Thank you, everyone. And once again, I can't say it enough, but I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to yet another interesting episode of the Language Matters podcast. This morning, I am privileged to have with me one of my mentors, Karing, to share her experiences about language at work. So this is that's the title for today's episode, Language at Work. Why do we need to pay attention to that? And interestingly, Karen is not a linguist, but she's an executive coach. But her work opens her up to the wealth of experiences that people have with language in the workplace. And that is what Karen is going to share with us this morning. So Karen, thank you so much for taking time off to be with me this morning. And thank you also for all the time you've invested in me all this while. So a warm welcome and thank you once again. My pleasure. And incidentally, no pressure on me to perform well on your podcast. Um, Listeners, you are very, very lucky um, to uh, have Mame sort of share her experience and knowledge with you. When in the time that I have mentored her, I've just learned so much. And it's really, really opened my eyes to, you know, lots of experiences that I've had in the past um, and sort of slightly reframed some of those experiences. I'm going to sneeze. I apologize. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Excuse me. Um, so in terms of language, um, how it came about, one of our first, I guess, conversations was just around the fact that I have a client, for example, currently who lives overseas, who had, who basically came for my help, just generally um, for her own career progression. Um, but one of the biggest blockers for her career progression was the fact that they said that her language and the way she expressed herself wasn't appropriate or it basically rubbed people up the wrong way in the workplace. And what was really interesting about this was this poor individual massively was trying so hard and work ethic was amazing and you know was basically seen as the person to follow in the workplace um did everything right in fact the ceo said we need more of this person because they're doing such an amazing amazing job but lo and behold because of the way this person expressed himself suddenly it was like we are not sure you can get this promotion because people find you a little bit aggressive and it was quite an interesting sort of dynamic because suddenly i was thinking how coincidental i'm speaking to this linguist expert mentoring her but actually i wouldn't mind getting her perspective and feedback on this because I truly believe that we need to be authentic in the workplace. Some people are sort of saying, well, yes, but there's no need to be rude. I'm like, however, let's have a chat about what rude may or may not look like. Because at the end of the day, rude may not be somebody else's direct or someone's direct may not be the same as somebody else's rude if that makes sense and so 
Mami, you and I had this really, really interesting conversation around how language fits in all of this, because this individual speaks extremely good English, way better than my non-English speaking. And it was just really, really interesting because people who are in the English speaking world just decided that this person is really, really aggressive without making room for the fact that it's not this person's first language. And it could be culturally that this person, um, the way they speak, it's, it's very, very direct. Um, and so, you know, I would love to sort of hear your thoughts on some of this, Mami, for, for, from your, for, for example. Is this something that you see when you did your studies, for example? Definitely, definitely. And I think that you've raised very, very important points that we need to start paying attention to if we are not already. You talked about the fact that we, you encourage people to bring their, or take their authentic selves to the workplace, you know, and you cannot separate someone's language use from who they are. It is an integral part of everybody's journey and everybody's life, you know, so, and especially when we are talking about diversity, inclusion and equity and belonging, then we should be able to accept people for who they are. Now, the onus lies on organizations to make or raise this awareness at the workplace and equip staff with the strategies on how to deal with different ways of speaking or different ways of perceiving the world. And that is what I think is missing currently because we assume that once we speak, we are speaking the same language, then our ways of expressions, our mannerisms, our understanding are similar, but that is fundamentally wrong. It, it, it is a fallacy, it is never true. You know, so it's interesting that you are not a linguist, but you are dealing with this and you have the real, this is a lived experience. It's not a made up story. This is someone's experience at the workplace. And this would not be happening if people at the workplace are equipped or they are aware that look, politeness varies culturally. What is rude in one language or in one culture, I should say, is not counted as rude in another culture. You know, so I think that this just centers the importance of paying attention to language and making people aware and not just leaving it at the awareness phase, but actually equipping them with the strategies. You know, so a simple thing as a training session, for example, just to have this conversation, you know, and say, say to people that someone may say this and you might perceive it as being rude or impolite and you are not wrong. Neither party is wrong. It's not about being wrong or right, but it's about being aware, being open and accepting people for who it is that they are. So you, if somebody has good work ethics and you want to clone the person in your words or in the words of the CEO, you cannot separate, you cannot say that all oh, because of their language use. So unfortunately we cannot, that is so unfair, you know, and that is exactly what we are talking about. And I don't think that an English person, you know, would face this kind of problem in the workplace. So we need to pay attention to that. If we want the diverse talent, 
We need to invest in giving them the platform to bring their authentic selves and their best to the workplace. Then we can reap all the benefits of diversity that we, we are talking about and making so much noise about. So it's, I think you, you've just centered this beautifully. It is time we move beyond the talk and take necessary action, you know, to make the workplace truly, truly inclusive and a place where people feel that they, they are accepted for who it is that they are. I'm sorry for lecturing. This is not saying this is not meant to no, be. No, not at all. I, I can hear the passion. And, you know, the passion basically shows what you value and, and why you think that your work is really, really important. I mean, I do. Like I said, we came about wanting to do this podcast because of this conversation that you and I had. And we felt it was really, really important. And, you know, what was really interesting when I spoke to this lady about... Um, you know what was going on um sorry the lady being the boss sorry but you know the client that you know the boss was like i'm russian i get it um so i don't think there is an issue mm. but with my client he was like i don't care because he you know he goes to me karen can you give me some examples of how I can handle this? And, you know, typically as a coach, you don't always want to give answers. So you say, how is the, does somebody else do this? How does somebody else do that? And have a look around. And he goes, thing is, when I see them say some of these things, in my language, we would say that you're just obfuscating the truth. So you can see already the reason why people are not direct in certain countries is because in English, especially in the UK, we call it just conversation. But in another, they actually perceive that literally as you are just leading yourself up to lying about something. So from their perspective, they have an assumption as well around the fact that you're not getting direct to the point. And then one thing that we talked about, and, and this, this is something that I think you might sort of understand. So one classic example was we use the word collaboration. And I said, you know, how does it feel? You know, if they, you sent the message that actually by wanting to work more with them, you know, less direct, that you are in a collaborative mode. And this person said, but the thing is, in Eastern Europe, collaboration means something quite different. Mm. We think of it from a communist perspective, you're collaborating with the police, the system, all of that sort of stuff. Whereas you guys, are, why do you keep talking about collaboration? And I found myself having to describe that in the UK and in my work, when I work with teams and leaders, etc., collaboration is a good thing. It means that you are sharing work. It means that you're putting brains together to brainstorm, you're crowdsourcing information to get the results that you want. But from his perspective, collaboration basically was seen as you spying on your neighbors with some slightly nefarious outcomes. And so can you imagine just even one simple word was so despicable to my client, um, but not for somebody else? Exactly, exactly. And I think that is the point. You see, that is the point. A, a word that we have come to accept so much in the UK and in the Anglo 
um, culture as a positive word actually has a negative connotation in another context. And that's what we are talking about. That language is so dynamic and rich that you can't put one word in a box and label it to mean that this word means this and it is final. That is doing a big disservice to ourselves and to the people that we work with. And so I'm excited because this is so, this is rich data, Karen. I mean, this is rich, rich data. This is lived experience. And that just goes to show the importance of having some of these conversations. You know, so you are saying in the workplace that, oh, we need to be collaborative, we need to this, and this person is using this email and it's like, there's no way I'm going to be collaborative because in my mind, that is spying on my colleagues or telling on them. Yeah. It means that yeah. we have, there's cross purposes here. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there's and you know, what, what's really interesting about that is now that she's understood its intent, and you know, bear in mind, this person, he understands English phenomenally well, right? And he speaks it fluently, but it's just these little nuances that make all the difference in the world. And, you know, and now he's bought into it. He's like, everything's collaboration because he fundamentally believes in it. So now, you know, his mandate is, this is how I want my to head up my team and all of that kind of stuff. But it took just, this breakthrough which we would never have understood and him holding himself back to doing this great work just because one literally just one word exactly exactly so i mean that like like i keep saying that this is rich raw data and it just goes to show us that look if we are not doing some of these things you know, we are we are we are not reaping the benefits that we have of the talent that work for us as business people, as teams, and as organizations. You know, and it's, it, it, the, the thing is that because it's so it's, it's it's so little, you know, and unconscious, we we tend to forget about them, and we focus on the big things, you know, but unfortunately these little things also count, you know? So I'm keen to hear from you. What do you think workplaces need to do from your experience of speaking to this client and just opening their eye to this simple thing that has changed their perspective entirely? Do you have any one or two recommendations if someone is listening to us and is in that space and thinks, oh, this is something that, we actually need to do. Where do we start from? Where what what is this? What in your opinion is the starting point? Before I answer that question, Mummy, if you don't mind, I'm going to just take us on a minor minor detour. But one of the side effects of this was aside from the fact that you know it, companies that talk about performance and efficiency and efficacy and all of that kind of stuff, effectiveness. What's interesting is, is by not getting language correct, they couldn't be the best versions of themselves because they had these little, essentially traffic stops that they didn't need to have because the flow of information and communication and collaboration and relationships had been stopped. Could have been forever, 
because of these just one word, for example. I mean, I'm being a bit extreme, but fundamentally, this lady, um, the the sorry, the boss was just going, Karen, I have not seen such a huge transformation because this guy is now talking about collaboration the whole time. And it's really changed the dynamics of his relationships with other teams, which before they said he was very, very difficult. And so the boss was the lady was like, this is great. But what was really what I will say, this 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 the 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 detour that I want to take is that this really impacts people and their well-being as well. Mm. So if you imagine for this particular client, his stress levels were so high because if you imagine you go into work with good intent, you've been told you need to be cloned. You've been told by your boss you're doing great work. You've been told your future is here and secure. But at the same time, you're told everybody hates you because you, they find you aggressive and you need to have an attitude change. But it's not the person's attitude. It's literally a language barrier. Hmm. And I see this time and time again in different guises, but this is the, probably the best example I can give you for the sake of this podcast. And this guy basically ended up being very stressed all the time, because if you imagine every time he opened an email and just said, I'd like to get X done he got pushback because people assumed he was being aggressive. And so there was politics behind the scenes, people messing around and not getting stuff done. And so then he's not performing and then people give him trouble. And so then it affects his well-being because it get, it stresses him out. And then you get told, you know, this promotion might not happen because da, 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 da. again, it affects your well-being. And this person was telling me for a long period of time, he was so stressed out, he wasn't sleeping at all. And, you know, that's, and what ends up happening is then he became even more short tempered because he's lacking sleep. He's stressed and, you know, it's like performance anxiety, right? When someone says to you, you're really, really aggressive, you're like second guessing, third guessing yourself when you're presenting or when you're talking to other people, you know, he went into meetings and sort of very hesitant and not himself at all. If you think about his well-being in general was massively impacted by this whole thing to the point when I when I started working with him, he was going, I don't even know if I have the ability to do this job if I want to get a promotion. Mm. And he had never doubted his abilities before, but because of this one thing, Obviously, he had work to do, but, you know, just think about the knock on effects. Mm. It's not just the fact that there is a miscommunication, for want of a better word, between two individuals. The knock on effect is performance is affected, efficacy is affected, results are affected, uh, promotions are affected, and the long term damage is this person's resilience is lower. They're not sleeping as well. Their well-being is bad. And I am a core believer, as you know, Mame, if you do not have good well-being, it doesn't matter how talented you are because you cannot be resilient. You cannot think clearly. Um, no matter how, you know, amazingly talented you are, if you're Roger Federer or, you know, whatever, if he is tired and not slept well, and if he is stressed, his performance will be substandard. And that's just a fact. So as you know, I work a lot around that well-being space. Yeah. 
So that's my slight sort of digression. But going back to the question you're asking about what, what, what can people do, um, not just because I'm on this podcast, but I would just say you need to, number one, raise awareness, but then awareness is not enough. You then actually need to take concrete action. I'm, I'm a massive believer as a coach. I think self-awareness is sorely lacking in a lot of people, not necessarily that they're not trying, but we as individuals and humans need to build self-awareness all the time. I may think I'm self-aware, but I don't know how this conversation's going. And if I get feedback, that will raise my self-awareness. So it, it, it's a constant work, work in progress, things like self-awareness, right? But from an organizational level, we need to be a lot more self-aware about these things and understand that it's not black and white. Understand that just because everyone speaks English, that necess it doesn't necessitate that everyone actually understands each other. And that it takes two parties to understand each other. So that's the sort of awareness bit, education, whatever you call it, you know, this is your, your, your wheelhouse, mommy. But I would also then say we need to take action because there's absolutely no point making this some intellectual exercise where more PhDs get written if nothing happens afterwards. What does that mean? Well, it could mean actually having slightly more honest conversations. It might mean that the expectation isn't just that one party has to do all the work. Um, you know, it's an expectation that maybe training people to be more curious would be more helpful. This situation, whilst it's worked very well with this client and he has made huge progress, is maybe if the organization had a slightly more curious approach as to what's really going on here. Yes, clearly he appears aggressive, but what is the issue? As a coach, we're taught to dig deep. Don't take things at face value. Maybe we might just get a little bit further. I don't know. And maybe I'm, you know, asking for too much. It would be interesting to hear your perspective. Sorry, I went on and on and on. No, definitely, definitely. I just love the connection uh, that you established between this sort of thing that we it seems almost as if it's little and that is neglect uh, we've neglected so much and mental health you know and well-being which is key to performance and efficacy at the workplace like you have said so if if we really want to get the best from our people we need to pay attention to these things, you know, and we can see it with all that is happening in the sports industry all around us, how mental health is key. And I think that you've just given me a block post idea there that look, language is key. And the fact that I, I would say that mental health holds everything together. It's like the center of gravity on which we thrive as humans. You know, so if we are not in the right mental state, we cannot do what it is that we want to do, you know, despite all the talent and gifts that we, we have, like you have rightly said. So thank you so much for, for, for this point. And, and the fact that this feeds into so many other things, you know, you, you might just tag somebody off as being aggressive, as ill-mannered, and you think, oh, we've done it and that does no it doesn't end there that person thinks about it almost every day it's at the back of their mind it's almost like it's registered it's an image 
that they play over and over and over again in their mind. And just think about how that just feeds into their being, their personality and affects their, 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 their output. So thank you so much once again. So I think that just in sum, I mean, if someone wants to go away with something, a takeaway that I would give is that, think about it in the fact that this affects the bottom line. It's a cost to an organization if you're not paying attention to language use in the workplace. Because at the end of the day, if the person is performing to their best or not, you're still going to pay them. So why not make sure that they have the environments that would cause them to give off their 100% to the organization like you want them to, instead of them giving off 50 or 20 just because they are not at their top most um, me mentally. They are not, they are not in, the, in that place to give what it is that you're, you're requiring them to give off. So Karen, before I let you go, I mean, it's interesting how, and one of the things that uh, I, was, I was thinking about before the, having this conversation with you was, I'm keen to know how you walked into this, you know, how, I mean, if, if anybody who goes onto LinkedIn and reads your profile will see that you are an executive coach, you, you don't ever say anything about being an expert in workplace communication, but look at you having to do this sort of work. So I'm just curious to find out how, how, how you got into it and your experience so far, you know, how has it been and what, what it is that you've learned personally from, 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 from this experience of having a client who came to you with, with a problem that, I mean, I think from what you said, both of you had to learn on the journey, you know? So I'm keen to hear your, your experiences and thoughts on that. It's funny, actually, with every single client I've had to learn because everyone's so different. Yeah. I've had some people who are like, oh, I know myself very well. And I find them quite often the hardest people to work with because they're quite resistant to change and to self-exploration um, but then I also have a lot of people who basically like this guy he was just like so stressed he was like I've lost complete confidence in myself and so I had basically that was my mission to help build that up and because I knew that the performance ability was there so it was more like kind of helping build them back up. So whilst I'm an executive coach, I often think, I mean, I often say, if you are not psychologically fit, um, you know, I have, this is a buy buy, but I have a joint venture with a friend of mine and we focus purely on mental well-being at, in, in the workplace and well-being in the workplace, because we just think if you don't have that, we call it like it should be part of the DNA of the person and part of the DNA of the organization, because if people are not well, they're not at their peak. And earlier when you said it's about bottom line, I think it's even more than bottom line, because actually, if you're paying people and they're not performing at their best, you're actually losing money, right? Because you're not getting the, the, the uh, kind of appropriate uh, pay of return on investment, if you want to call it that, um, for that. So for me, I, I like seeing clients because I, you know, for me, it's always a learning journey. And I think for me, it's really important to ensure that I stay humble, that I don't know everything. Because if I protect, if I think I know everything, I will not be curious. I will go in there. And yes, as a coach, you're not supposed to suggest and what well, you can, but you know, kind of 
you're supposed to help them find their own answers. But I think if you're an arrogant person who assumes that you have nothing to learn, your questions won't be inquisitive and curious. They won't be about lifting people. So for me, I always start with a, I don't know a thing. I'm not gonna assume a thing and I'm just go in there with a view to help support this person, whatever that looks like. And sometimes it means asking some really tough and difficult questions. Um, I have been told I at times have been a little bit too direct, but you know, that's just how I, I, I roll, right? Um, what have I learned from this particular experience is, like I said, because timely that I met you, um, you know, the, the whole language piece really, really matters. I think it's a, a key factor. Um, but I also think, you know, these things don't exist in, and that's something that I've learned through time and time again, these things don't like exist in silos. So yes, it's a language thing, but this is also a a resilience thing this is a, a confidence thing this is a performance thing this is just so many things um and you know when you said earlier on i'm a communications expert i i wish but i'm not but it's amazing how if you don't communicate well nothing good will come out of it nothing good right because you know earlier today before we started this podcast we talked about the fact that i went to boarding school and you know i've always spoken english and that was a major shift as well because yes i spoke english but culturally the things that i thought and said and did in a new boarding school were vastly different not just the accent but just so many other things that some of it was school language so every school has its own language um, and then there's like colloquial English words that when I was born and brought up in Malaysia, we would never have known or even used. Um, you know, language, it just makes all the difference in the world, whether you fit in or, or, or you don't. So I used to work on a trading desk in financial services, and there was a lot of cockney rhyming slang. And I didn't know any of it, and I picked it up. And... But, you know, people used to laugh at me just saying, oh, Karen, it's so funny that you say those words, but you say it in that accent, you know, and it would, you know, so, but it was my way of fitting in. Yeah. And some people don't want to do that. And that's totally understandable. Um, but, you know, so to my, to sort of, you know, answer this question about what do you learn is, I just think you just have to be a little bit agile about it as well and appreciate that, Yes, authenticity matters, but there's always two sides to it. And then as long as both parties are willing to work with it, I think you have a much greater chance of success. But the problem we have with typically anything to do with DNI, I hate to say this, is that there's an assumption that all the work that's being done is either box ticking, mm. which then leads to resistance, which is the second point. So it's box ticking and then there's a resistance because a lot of people sort of assume that you're calling them racist and you're not you're just saying you can do better that's mm. it mm. there's no judgment around it mm. the judgment comes if you don't try and do better mm. definitely definitely well i think my takeaway from this session is you can do better we we all can do better as individuals as organizations as leaders as employees we can all do better 
And there are so many ways in which we, we can do better. And just this is just to bring to your attention the fact that if you're not paying attention to language, you are missing a big chunk of the puzzle that just doesn't fit into a little box, but feeds into so many other things in the workplace. So Karen, before I let you go, final thoughts, final words, anything you want to leave us with? I think I'm going to correct you and say it may be a little piece, but it's amazing how a building can fall down if you don't have, if, if it's missing a little piece. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to turn around and say it may be little, but it packs a punch and it's deeply mm -hmm. impactful. Mm -hmm. So to your audience, I'm going to turn around and say complacency is not going to help you. Just do the work. And you will see that actually it's a very, very worthwhile investment, mm. not just in your profits and your returns, because, you know, if your employees get on better with your clients and your, your customers because they communicate well, just think of what relationships are going to be like, right? That's just a, a quick plus. But just in terms of employee retention, motivation, if you don't feel misunderstood, people don't feel obliged to leave because they're called aggressive, even though their intent is good, you know, all of those good things. Something, as you say, is small, but how impactful is it? I just think we're not, we all should know better. If we've got someone, an expert like you, my mate, out there to help us, it is our duty to consider this for our businesses. Thank you so much, Karen. And permits me to confer on you the title, uh, Apply Linguist via, <laughs> via association. You know, thank you. I'll take it. I'll take any qualification. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so, so much. So listeners, um, Karen, is, he, she's very active on LinkedIn. You've, you've heard her speak. If, you, if you're in that space where you think, you need just somebody to, to, to listen to, to talk to. If you need, if you're an executive listening to us and you think, well, I, I need to push up my, my performance, Karen is a person to talk to. She has extensive training. She's a psychologist. I didn't say that at the beginning. So she's not just saying this out of the top of her head, but she actually has the training and she's gotten the experience to guide you on that journey. So do check out Karen's profile on LinkedIn. We will be so very much happy to hear your feedback and your comments. Even if it's, you don't disagree with any, if you disagree with something we've said, we'll definitely love to, to hear that as well. And please don't um, hesitate from sharing your own personal experiences with us if you have any in regards to this. So in closing, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening to us and a huge thank you to Karen for taking time off to be my guest this morning. Thank you so much, Karen, and I'm looking forward to, to speaking to you soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Um, and keep listening to Mommy. You Gems, you'll learn something every time.